0: Welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. It is a busy, busy week as we get ready for our probably our longest episode in quite some time as Texas Tech defeated UCF 24-23 on Saturday to clinch bowl eligibility. Clinch! A second straight winning record in conference play. And in basketball, they head down to the Bahamas to get ready for Villanova tomorrow at 1 30 p.m. on ESPN. Good chance they'll be playing North Carolina on Thanksgiving and another basketball game on Friday. Then after that, Texas Tech plays Texas in football for the last time at 6:30 p.m. on ABC. We'll preview all of that. And Tyler Shuck has entered or announced that he will be entering the transfer portal and his time at Tech is done. Before we get started on a quick recap from UCF, if you can take the time, go ahead and give us a five-star review and rating. It helps us a lot. But this game against UCF, this was a pretty awful start. And I came in saying I didn't expect to win this game. I was worried. I thought that UCF was a bad matchup for us. And in the first quarter, it kind of looked that way. They got a wildcat touchdown from RJ Harvey. And then one thing I don't I don't understand. The next possession, and we had this similar thing happen against BYU in Provo. It's fourth and seven. So what do we do? We're not kicking a field goal. We're not trying to get points on the board. It's fourth and goal from the seven-yard line and we go for it, and we obviously don't get it, I don't know why we go for it in that situation. Not from the 7. If it's from the 1, or you're inside the 3-yard line on 3rd down, and you say, "All right, we're going to run it up the gut with Taj Brooks twice. If we don't get it one of these times, so be it. Okay, that's fine. But I am a big fan on if you're down 7 nothing, it's your first possession of the game, just get 3 points on the board. Just get 3 points on the board. After that, UCF goes down or we get the ball back off a good stop it's third and four and Xavier White drops a pass for a first down now Xavier White's been one of your more reliable targets as far as drops go and I don't want to pin it on him he did have a good game but that was a tough drop and then we go for it on fourth and four. so our first two drives we go for it twice And this is really my only beef with Kitley's play calling. I'm going to give him his flowers later in this episode. We throw the ball short of the sticks to Bradley. I don't know. It looked like UCF was playing press coverage. He was probably supposed to get further down. Maybe there was supposed to be a blocking scheme or a pick scheme or something like that. Uh, But either way, you threw the ball two two yards short of the sticks and it wasn't even caught. And then you get a stop, they fake the field goal, get it down to the one-yard line, special teams falls asleep, and I gotta say, I was watching that game and watching that little kicker run down the sidelines, I was just hoping somebody would pop him at that point. Because at that point it was frustrating, they get another wildcat touchdown from RJ Harvey, and then as much as your special teams let you down, Dre McRae, who, man, he hasn't been as effective in the passing game as we have hoped. But he has been a good return man. He got that return touchdown against Houston. That kind of quelled things kept Barron off the field after a after a long drive by Houston. When Barron was questionable for that game to begin with. He takes it past midfield. And then you have Barron throwing to Tharp in the red zone. And then this next play was called back. But he threw a touchdown to Tharp as well. Which I got to say. Mason Tharp being back is massive. And I think it's more massive with Baron Morton than it was with Tyler Shuck. Remember, those two guys came in at the same time, both early enrollees, and both knew each other pretty well. I think uh, it was Mason Tharp who said he would go fishing at Baron's house. It is great to see Tharp back on that field. Now you have two big tight ends, and you got your biggest one, the 6'9 one, back and a guy that your quarterback has a really good relationship with. After that, Barron finds Dre McRae for a touchdown. I got to say, Brooks did his job that drive, McRae did his job that drive, and Tharp was huge that drive, and Barron threw some good passes. And then from then, the tide just really started to turn. And you saw this on the third and 15 when Plumlee. I don't know what this guy was thinking, but he's about 10, 11 yards short of the first down on third and 15. Our, our defender's like, he's ducking a little bit, but he's not diving at him. And he tries to hurdle him. I, that would have been a play that I would have loved to see see a big hit there when you try to hurdle somebody 10 yards short of the sticks in traffic. But Barron ba- bounces back with the 25-yard touchdown pass to Dre McCray, or, or t- 25-yard pass to McRae, and then a beautiful ball in the corner of the end zone to Mason Tharp, having this guy back. He only got three catches on the day, but man, he could have had two touchdowns if that first one didn't get called back in that first half alone, first half of play for him. It is great to see that guy back on the field. And then you get absolutely bailed out. You get bailed out because Gus Malzon is a moron. He's a moron. I, I mean, let's just say this. Let's call it how it is. There's 14 seconds left on the clock. You don't have any timeouts. You can take the lead with an easy field goal, but no, he decides to pass it up the middle of the field, get stuffed at the one, and then they run out of time before they can even spike the ball. And Tech goes into the half, tied at 14. And at that point, the momentum had massively turned. And you got some rough luck in the first half. Drops continue to be an issue. This time it was Koi Aiken who drops one, one to start the half. But in fairness to Koi, much like Xavier White bounced back from his drop, which is great to see, you had about a 20-yard gain where Barron, ate, I don't know if it was a back shoulder throw, it was a back shoulder-ish throw, is what I'd say about it. Um, and then he th- to get a big first down, you're moving in, it's third and nine, you're at, your, you're at their 39, and Barron with his worst play of the game, worst play of the past few weeks, misses Xavier White on a slant. That would have been about a 15-yard gain, and it's in a guy's hands that can make people miss. You would have been in field goal range, throws it behind him, picked off. That was really the worst that we've seen out of Baron so far this season. But after that, UCF's driving. Malik Dunlap in the corner of the end zone makes a really nice defensive play. Bakersfield forces a field goal, and UCF doinks it. So as bad as your special teams was on that fake field goal, I can see why they were faking the field goal instead of kicking that long one because already, middle of the third quarter, you've got a doink from a 34-yard field goal, and you got a 55-yard return off the kickoff to change the momentum of the game. And then, again, Bakersfield stepped up. He, he made a big play earlier. He gets a – there's an absolute duck That is picked off by Bakersville. I don't know what Plumlee's doing there, but you could just see the sideline explode even before that ball went into Bakersville hands. And by the way, that was one where Bakersville is playing one of those safety roles. He wasn't playing the star there. He seems like he's playing pretty well in that safety role. And then you get a first down to wide on third and five, 13-yard touchdown run for Tosh Brooks, who, man, it, It's not surprising at all to see him doing this, but he has been huge all season. And then you're up 21-14 at this point. UCF is driving in the fourth. One play that I really like, and it was a first and 10 tackle, but Rabbit was out of this game, and Chapman Lewis, a true freshman, and Ben Roberts, and it was mainly Chapman Lewis, but Chapman and Ben Roberts combined on a tackle, which... I think that spells some really good things for tex Tech for years to come. You are seeing some really young players get playing time. They're all agility recruits, Ben Roberts and Chapman Lewis, and they're immediately stepping in for injured players and making an impact. Making an impact. I think that votes well, really well for next season. But after that, Lewis nearly, again, gets a sack on third and three. They... It's an incomplete pass into the end zone. Really good coverage on that play. They get the field goal. You're up 21-17. And I gotta say, I called this one after Oregon. I called it after Gino made that kick against Oregon. He nails a 51-yard field goal that would have been good by a mile. It wasn't overly close. It was kind of on the his right side of the of the goalpost. But man. That kick would have been good from 60, 60 60-plus, 24-17, and at that point, just over six minutes to go, feeling good, and then everything turns. On one play, a deep shot to the wide receiver where the corner misses a check. You could look at it and say Chapman Lewis was shading to the left and it went down the right side. Julian McGuire came out after the game and said that the DB missed the check there. It wasn't on Chapman Lewis. But it's all made up for because Amarian Banks blocks the extra point with with five and a half minutes to go. And at that point, I know that some of y'all were thinking this too. Great. We're going to dial up a three and out. They're going to get a game-winning field goal if their kicker doesn't lose his mind again. But I will tell you what. For as much as we, and especially me, have criticized Zach Kitley this year. Him dialing up a five and a half minute drive with a one point lead to ice the game. No NASCAR, no tempo, just dialing up a slow, steady, consistent drive. Didn't end with points, didn't need to end with points, it ended with the end of the game. That is my favorite drive of the season from Zach Kitley, by far. By far. Even more than that 64-yard drive against Kansas. Just icing the game, using Taj Brooks, using the weapons you have. You just didn't go to score points, was just out there to get first downs and ice the game. Massive, massive hit tip of the cap to Zach Kitley and especially Taj Brooks and the entire O-line on that drive. So what were the differences in the game? What made the differences? Because first off, I'll get to the big picture here in a minute. Barron Morden was 21 of 35, 256 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Plumley, who I was worried about, was only 16 of 32, 248 yards, one touchdown, one tic- pick. Barron outplayed Plumley in this game. And you held Plumley to 84 rushing yards, which on as many attempts as he got, is good enough for me. But the true story of this game was the run defense. And it was... Texas Tech got gashed a bit early. They were struggling early. But they stepped up and, my God, Tim DeRuiter, our defensive coordinator, is just so good at in-game adjustments. It, it, it goes underappreciated just how good he is at in-game adjustments. Taj Brooks went for 24 carries, 182 yards, and a touchdown, 7.6 yards a carry. R.J. Harvey, the guy who I was worried was going to torch us, who averaged about 10 yards a carry last week. 20 carries, 78 yards, 3.9 yards a carry. He did have those two Wildcat touchdowns, but 3.9 yards a carry on R.J. Harvey. Just amazing uh, a great job by that defensive front front seven and the secondary for holding plumley other than really one big pass play where a db missed a check and it didn't matter because amarian banks bailed you out anyways receiving wise not going to go through the ucf guys but xavier white after that early drop three catches 77 yards dre mccray not only did he have that 55-yard kickoff return, but four catches for 45 yards and a touchdown. I, I've been saying Koi Eakin. I know it's Koi Eakin. I do know it. I, I've just had it hardwired into my brain, so I'm just going to call him Koi from now on. Four catches for 41 yards. Mason Tharp, again, three catches, 32 yards, one touchdown. Could have been two if one wasn't called back. And then Jordan Brown even got in on the action with Miles Price out with four catches for 30 yards. Baylor Cup had one for 17. And Duran Bradley, we're going to talk about in Texas, but as great as he was on that last catch against Kansas, we're going to need more than one catch for eight yards against Texas. He's going to need to have another Thanksgiving weekend game like he had against Oklahoma last year. That's what's going to be needed from this team. But, honestly, just... 300 or 50 mile view. Nothing but credit to the the coach, the locker room, the coaches, the locker rooms, everybody on staff. This was a team that I was worried was soft after the BYU game, and they have stepped up and proven they are anything but soft. Anything but soft. I mean, to come out three really toss-up games when you looked at the line, three one possession games. And to get three wins to clinch bowl eligibility, get to go into Austin with nothing to lose. In two matchups, the last two matchups, I thought were bad matchups for Texas Tech. They came out, won both of them, and or won all three of them. And man, I huge turnaround. Huge turnaround from where we were a month ago. Still a disappointing season, but Geez, this team is seven and one in November under Joey McGuire. They've now won seven straight games in November. Joey McGuire is, and this entire staff has done a great job at not quitting on the season and just developing this team as the season went on. And Zach Hitley too. You got to give him credit. He has been frustrating beyond belief, and we went 45 minutes with three points against Kansas, but. This is two of the last three games I've said that I've had to say. Kitley called a great game, and I thought most of the mistakes were execution, not even on play calling, which is a bit weird for me to say, and it it should get better next year when you have a receiver like Micah Hudson and hopefully a healthy Baron Morton. But we're going to move on. Uh, Before we do the Texas preview, I'm not trying to bury the lead. I'm just going in order of how things are happening. The Battle for Atlantis tips off tomorrow. You play Villanova at 1.30 on ESPN. They're ranked to start the year, unranked now. Just going to go through the schedule for you all. If you win, you likely play North Carolina on ESPN on Thanksgiving at 1.30 p.m. A loss, and it's likely Northern Iowa at 11 a.m. on ESPN2. And I may have said Northern Iowa the first time. That would be North Carolina that you would play if you win. If you're in the championship, it's two thirty p.m. on ESPN Friday. If you go third place game, then it would be noon on ESPN Two, which both of those before the text you're done before the Texas Texas Tech game gets started. So, if you're in Austin, that's a perfect way to get down to Austin six hours before the game and have a few drinks. If you go, if you lose the first game and then beat Northern Iowa, likely in the losers bracket, you would play the fifth place game at 5 p.m. on ESPNU. And if you're in the 7th place game, you might as well just cancel the season if you lose to Northern Iowa. Not really, but you'll be on ESPN Plus at 7.30 if you want to watch that. Although, unless things go terrible in Austin, I don't think anybody's going to be watching a 7th place game during the last ever Texas Tech-Texas game. Before we take a look ahead to Villanova, though, just to give you all some perspective on the field. Going go in order of the bracket. North Carolina plays Northern Iowa first. North Carolina is 19th in Ken Palm. They are ranked 14th overall in the AP Top 25. Northern Iowa is 120th in Ken Palm. Texas Tech plays the second game against Villanova. Tech sitting at 46th in the Ken Palm metrics. Villanova sitting at 25th in the bottom of the bracket you have michigan who just took a tough loss sitting at 36th Then kem palm they'll be playing memphis who's 31 in kem palm and the other game in the bottom side of the bracket arkansas who's sitting 29th and then stanford who's sitting back at 64th but you are of the eight teams in the field you are sixth you're sixth in these rankings so there is a really good opportunity for you to get some quad one wins in this tournament it's not quite as good as a field as last year's Maui Invitational but you'd have to say just the depth of the field Ohio State was not a good basketball team you can almost interchange them with either Stanford or Northern Iowa and Louisville was probably worse than all the teams in that field so There's going to be some good matchups. It's a really tough test for Texas Tech. And just looking ahead to Villanova, they lost a heartbreaker on the road at Penn that, quite frankly, Villanova got kind of hot late in this game in the last minute and a half when it was almost out of reach but couldn't close it. Their last game, though, was, quite frankly, an embarrassing, humiliating display from offensive basketball. From both teams, but especially Maryland, it was 57-40 to 40 at home against Maryland. The essence of this Villanova team is they have good guards, they're physical, they can defend, as you saw against Maryland, holding them to 40 points. It was like 29 points, maybe 19 points. It was like some crazy number through 30 minutes of basketball, like 30-something points. Probably less than that than Maryland had put put up. But they do struggle to score they did not put up a lot of points against penn they did not put up a lot of points against maryland just some guys to watch on this team justin moore is his first year or his fourth year at villanova he's their leading scorer with 16 points per game tyler burton is their second leading scorer and leader in the rebound column with 11.8 points per game and 8.3 boards per game That's going to be an interesting matchup, especially if we're putting him against... I don't know if we're going to put Cambridge on him or Warren Washington on him, but that's going to be a big matchup down low. Then Brandon Housen. uh, This is a kid some of y'all may know. He's from Amarillo. White boy, he's a shooter. Over six points per game, and he's averaging 18.8 minutes per game at Villanova. And once again, I cannot believe that we let this kid leave West Texas. I get Amarillo doesn't like Lubbock or Tack that much, but, man, how do you let this kid go to Villanova? And I'm sorry, this is going to be frustrating for a bit from the Mark Adams area. Just the lack of recruiting high schoolers. we got Drew Steffi because he basically wanted to play here and he's going to redshirt this year. We've got Kyron Lindsey, who McCassin's probably going to redshirt. Then we got the Jackson kid who McCaslin didn't want. The freshmen's before that, we got some good freshmen. I we had a good class that year with Pop, with Jennings, with Fisher, with Lamar Washington. But man, um, yeah, missing out on Brendan House House and sucks. And then you look at Moretti's younger brother who wasn't offered by Tex Tech, is having a good season at Illinois right now, especially as a freshman. We just didn't offer the kid. We we just didn't offer Moretti's younger brother, who's good enough to get minutes for Illinois right now. And that's not a McCassin thing. That was a Mark Adams thing. But, I don't know, getting off topic a bit there, that, that one's going to sting with me for a bit because Moretti's probably going to have a pretty good season. But what did we learn? from these first three games because, quite frankly, I talked about how San Jose State was an ugly but good win. That Texas A&M Corpus Christi game that we won by, what was it, eight or nine points, that was an ugly win, and it was not a good win. That game should not have been that close. And it looked like we were stretching it out in the second half, and then we just got outplayed for most of the second half. There were some good moments. McMillan finally got his first three. He got going up against Corpus Christi, Darian Williams with a 10-point game, 14 boards. Double-double for Darian Williams. He was a guy who I said in the starting lineup, well, I think he could struggle. I think he's going to take time to adjust, and he hasn't played a Power 5 team yet, but boy, has this guy looked good. And I think that he's going to be a very interesting player to watch this in this tournament to see how he does about against Power 5 competition, because you should be playing... At least, and really, it's power six in basketball. But you should be playing three power six, two or three power six schools in the next few days. And then you play Butler. This is going to be a big stretch for Barry for Darian Williams, uh, just to see how he's adjusting to this game. Washington is going to be massively important. We don't have another big like him. We're playing Yalaho and RJ Jennings down there, and no disrespect to either of them, especially the freshmen, because. We expect him to take time to come along, but, man, we are so weak in the bigs, and it, it's kind of frustrating not having Kyron Lindsay out there so that we could get some more size. He's going to be a player that, if things go bad this year, people are going to call on Kyron Lindsay to get more minutes. Devin Cambridge, he's an athlete. He does has have, have some size to him, but, man, we are going to be out we're going to have some trouble down low in some of these Big 12 games with just Warren Washington down there, particularly if he gets in foul trouble. And just looking around the Big 12, I watched Texas-Louisville, which ugly game by Texas. Really ugly game. But Shedrick looked really good for them, and they're going to get be getting D'Su back. And they, they only lost by 10 to UConn without either of those two. So, We're going to need to get some answers down low this weekend or over the next month before you head into conference play. Some other issues. Well, not an issue. Toussaint's been good. But Pop Isaacs. He was on the bench for the end of the A&M Corpus game. And I'm sure people have seen this. I know a little bit more about it. But he's going through some stuff with his dad. He has not been good that year. His Body language has looked off. I don't think that anybody should be piling on to him right now with what's going on with with everything that's going on in his life. Hopefully he can find his three-point stroke. And, I mean, he had it in the scrimmage at Denton. We should see some positive regression over these next three games for Pop Isaacs, and that is going to be a huge piece of Texas Tech this season. But... What are gonna what are some of the keys or expectations that we want to see from Tex Tech this year compared to Maui? First off, it would be nice if there's not a player revolt against the coach this time around. I would love to not have that happen like it ha- it may or may not have happened last year. but you got to get two wins in this. You got to get, I don't want to say you got to get two. First off, you want to get that first win so you're in the early session on Friday and fans can watch both that and Texas, Texas Tech. If you beat Villanova, lose to North Carolina, then lose to whoever comes out in the third place game on the other side of the bracket in a couple competitive games, I don't think there's going to be much frustration. I think that would be fine. I think that would be completely okay. You got a quad one win and you can move on from there. You get a quad one win, you move on. If you lose to Villanova, you have got to beat Northern Iowa. You cannot go into that 7th place game. You cannot lose to a team outside the top 100 in Ken Palm on a neutral court. You just cannot do it. You can't have that. But then you got to win the 5th place game. And if you go 2-1 and getting 5th place, beating a team like Memphis or Arkansas or Michigan... You're, you're taking that. You're taking that. You are sixth right now in Kempom of all the teams in, your bra- in this bracket. If you can finish fifth or fourth, even though they're different records, I think you'd be okay with it because you're probably tacking on a quad one win. You're probably adding a quad one win to your resume. If you can leave this tournament with one quad one win, whether it's one and two and finishing fourth, or two and one and finishing fifth. I am taking that a hundred percent. I'll be okay with that. I would much rather it be that you get the <laughs> that you get the first win against Villanova. Maybe it leaves a sour taste in your mouth, but the schedule I think it lines up so well with the early session before being the first and third place games that I would much rather beat Villanova, even if I get a bit of a sour taste in my mouth leaving this tournament. Because in a week, you got Butler either way on the road, and you can get a good taste back in your mouth. Now, moving on. Um, no more bearing the lead. The, the most important game, by far. As nice as basketball would be, a win on Friday night in football would make... And I would not care what happened with basketball. I would not care. We play Texas... They need Well, they don't need a win to make the Big 12 title. They need a win to secure a spot in the Big 12 title. The tiebreakers, quite frankly, man. I wrote an article going through all the seeding for the Big 12 tournament the last two years and what could happen or just going through all the tiebreakers too for the last week. I could do that. I cannot figure out these Big 12 tiebreakers. I have no clue what they are, other than the obvious if Oklahoma State is tied with two teams they beat, they get get priority. I do not know the scenarios for us. I will just let you all know. I think what the scenario would be that could give us a chance is we win. TCU beats Oklahoma. Iowa State beats Kansas State. I think you need a Kansas win against Cincinnati. I think you need a West Virginia win against Baylor, and then you would need a BYU win against Oklahoma State. I, I took all the odds off of ESPN, I calculated it out, took the winning percentages, did like .156 times .1-whatever. 0.1 It came out to 0.01% chance that Texas Tech makes the title game. I put a $1 parlay in on all those results happening, and the payout would be over $3,700. So if you send me a five-star review and all those happen, tell you what, I'll buy you a ticket to the Big 12 championship game if that scenario actually means that we go. But this is going to be a massive game, and Texas just played their most complete game of the back half of the season. By far. I mean, they look good against Iowa State. They held Iowa State Samba, who I was raving about, thought he was going to be a great back. They held him to, what, 9, 11 rushing yards? 11 rushing yards across the game. They forced Beck to throw the ball, and their secondary was able to hold up for once. Boy, um, it is going to be strength on strength when Taj Brooks goes up against Jonathan Brooks. Just so y'all, are not Jonathan Brooks, the Texas rushing defense. Jonathan Brooks is out probably for the season. But, of course, they have another back named C.J. Baxter, who against Iowa State, who has one of the better rush defenses in the country. He got 20 carries and 117 yards. Like 5.9 yards a carry. 5.8, 5.9 yards a carry. So yeah, we we have to deal with that as a replacement. That must be nice to have CJ Baxter sitting behind Jonathan Brooks. But man, it, you're gonna need to switch some things up if we want to win this game. It can't all be on Taj Brooks. You're gonna have to give them different looks. And if you can get some holes in there, maybe you put Cameron Valdez and hope that he can get you an explosive play or two. But I think this is a good chance for Baron Morton, which just getting him healthy into this game does so much for you. And not healthy. He's still banged up, and I still think Quinn Ewers is a bit banged up too. He certainly looked like it against TCU, but Quinn Ewers wasn't over 60% in completions last year. Credit to him. He's leading the league in completion percentage this season. And you're going to have to deal with Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington for a full game. Obviously, they went down last time that they played in Lubbock. You're probably going to have to deal with them for a full game. But Baron Morden, this is a chance for him. And remember, when Quinn Ewers was making his decision on where he was going to go, when it looked like it came down to Tech versus Texas, Baron Morden was on that roster he was the hyped up guy going into that next season. He was he did start third string, but he got some starts, looked pretty good. He was a guy who for a week there didn't know if he was going to get a chance to play at his dream school. And now he gets a chance to go up against the guy that was being recruited over him. There could be some extra juice in that one. You're getting him at probably about as healthy as he's been since the incarnate word game or whoever that Tarleton State who whatever slappy we played this this season this is a chance against a very weak and poorest secondary for not just Barron Moore to make a statement but for Jeram Bradley to make a statement for Coy Aiken to make a statement for Miles Price who will be back from injury to make a statement for Xavier White to go out on high note a guy who, by the way, he just had a great senior day after the first drop, after switching positions twice to get on the field, and he had a huge senior day for you, to give you to get you bowl eligible. He has a chance to go out with a massive bank against a secondary that is pretty weak. Even though he probably won't be going that far down the field, if there are some of those routes he can get after them, maybe you put Dre McCray out on some deep shots too and really test that secondary but remember you have micah hudson coming in remember not only is micah hudson coming in next year who you know is going to get one of the starting spots but so there's also four freshmen redshirting right now who are going to be in the mix for playing time next year this is a huge chance for some some of these receivers who haven't had great seasons to go ahead and state their claim that they should be starting next year against a secondary that has struggled. It is a talented secondary. It's not like a terrible secondary. You're not playing Tarleton State secondary. You're not playing Houston secondary. But a secondary that has struggled in a massive game with a quarterback who is probably about as healthy as he's been in some time and in a game that means a ton to this program. And defensively, you are going to have both Bradford and Hutchings, and they are saying that the rabbit is a go. The problem with that is you don't know what his snap count is going to be. You have no clue what his snap count is going to be. So Chapman Lewis, and by the way, I thought Chapman Lewis looked pretty good. I think that he's a really good player, and I'm excited to watch him, Ben Roberts, and everybody else who's coming up in that defense next year, because we are losing a lot there. But, man, I hope he's spending all week in the home room because he has to up his football IQ by year. Not saying that he's bad at it. But, this is a different beast up against Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington. He's going to need to step up and have a huge game. Bakersfield is going to need to grow into that role. And we don't know if if Jacob Rodriguez is going to play. They may ret- They may sit him out because if he plays in this game, he loses his shirt, which... I will say, on a personal level for Jacob Rodriguez, I get that. I get why you would want to do that, and he probably wants to play in this game. But I get why McGuire would want to do that for him. However, if you're really recruiting at a better pace, and look, we're seeing Ben Roberts come in in his position and light it up. So I'm not like terrified of Ben Roberts Is if we're relying on him in that role, and he has a bigger role than he had these past couple games. But... If we're really recruiting at that pace. I think you burn the red shirt for this game because it is a huge game for you. Then now all that said, I still don't think Texas Tech, Tech wins this game. I don't think Texas Tech, Tech gets the win here in Austin. I think it's going to be close. It's a 14-point spread. I don't see it's going to I don't think it's going to be a 14-point game. I think our defense is about as good of a defense as we have had in a long time probably over a decade and i think that texas's offense is good but i don't think it's out of this world that it's our defense isn't going to be able to keep up this isn't look if if you go on the orange blood stuff if you look at catch up or the people around the program who cover the ut program they are saying you need you need a just completely blow them out they've been too noisy the past 14 months I'm sorry you're not putting up 70 on this defense Quinn Ewers isn't a runner that's our biggest weakness and we even looked better against that you're not putting up 70 on this defense you're not putting up 60 on them you're not putting up 50 I think it's going to be a 31-27 type of game that Tex Tech loses I think the matchup that is going to be massive in this game is going to be Texas's defensive front versus Taj Brooks. I think you'll be able to get at their secondary if you're able to get the run game going. You're going to open up that secondary if you can keep get that run game going. If you can't, it's going to be a long night for Tex Tech, Tech. It could be a blowout. I don't think that it's going to be a high-scoring blowout. They're probably going to put up about 31 points on you. But it could be a blow I I don't think they're going to put up over 31 points is what I should say but it could be a really tough game for our offense if we can't get the run game going then you're relying on Barron to make a bunch of plays he's a bit banged up and you don't have the best receiving group although this is a great opportunity for them it's going to be a close game i think Texas is going to lose it probably by about 4 points but i don't think it's going to be a shootout but moving away from that one, uh, just one final—well, we'll talk about a couple things here. Tyler Shuck is, has announced he's transferring out. It was a nice note that he wrote. Um, this was an expected transfer. This was something that had to happen, both for him to have a chance at the next level and to move on from this QB controversy, because I know there'll be some people saying, oh, maybe Will Hammond will challenge Baron next year. Uh, there were people saying that about Jake Strong coming in. It, it's not going to happen. Barron's your starting quarterback next year. Now, we need to add somebody in the portal. We, we need to add some depth in the portal because I don't want it to be Jake Strong if his development doesn't go right or a true freshman, Will Hammond, backing him up. We need to add some depth in this portal, but Barron Morton's going to be the starting quarterback next year without a question. That is his job. and. Best of luck to Tyler Shuck. I I mean, injuries just killed this guy. He was here for three years, named starting quarterback every year. Only got to play in, what, 14 games? Um, Yeah, he's had an insane amount of bad luck. That four-year run, we can remember that pick six against Oregon, the drought in Wyoming or any of that. But, I don't know, he did have a great four-game run to end the season for you. Beat OU in that shootout, beat Ole Miss was ducking his shoulder after missing over half the season with an injury. So, hope that he lands on his feet. And another thing, just around the Big 12, um, why this Texas game is important. If you win this, you are 4-0 and against FBS Texas teams. Texas A&M put out a stat saying that they are now 17-0 and against Texas teams since 2012. The best team that they have faced in that stretch was SMU, and it wasn't when SMU was good. They faced like 10, 11 FCS teams and included them in the stat. But if Texas does win this week, they can go ahead and say they're state champions because you just went 4-0 against Power 5 Texas schools. That's going to do it for this one. Uh, We will be back next week. Hopefully a miracle happens and we'll be previewing a Big 12 championship. I don't think that will be happening, so we'll be recapping the Texas game, looking back at the Battle for Atlantis tournament, three basketball games, and previewing our game against Butler in early December. Thank you.